from the introduction of Defending the Undefendable by Walter Block. The impetus for this book is libertarianism. The basic premise of this philosophy is that it is illegitimate to engage in aggression against non-aggressors. What is meant by aggression is not assertiveness, argumentativeness, competitiveness, adventurousness, quarrelsomeness, or antagonism. What is meant by aggression is the use of violence such as that which takes place in murder, rape, robbery, or kidnapping. Libertarianism does not imply pacifism. It does not forbid the use of violence in defense or even in retaliation against violence. Libertarian philosophy condemns only the initiation of violence, the use of violence against a nonviolent person or his property. Dr. Block, thank you for coming on the Libertarian Institute and Keith Knight, don't tread on anyone. Where is the best place to find your uh, wide range uh, collection of publications? I guess walterblock.com would list um, all of them or most of them. I I, um, I try to keep up, uh, keep it up to date. I don't always succeed, but uh, that would be a good start. Otherwise, just Google me. Sounds good. Today, I wanted to talk about some of our heroes in the freedom movement. I want to start with uh, page two of your book, Defending the Undefendable, where you uh, dedicate uh, this book to a number of people. Please tell me the most important contribution you think this person has made to the freedom movement or something you personally learned from them you thought was really valuable. Nathaniel Brandon. Well, uh, Nathaniel Brandon pretty much converted me to libertarianism. Um, and, and by the way, there are now three defending the undefendables. There's defending the undefendable one, two, and three. Uh, three just came out. Uh, but I, I think you're talking about defending the undefendable one. Uh, what happened was uh, I was a socialist, like my buddy Bernie Sanders. We went to high school together, and uh, my views were roughly the same as his. And Ayn Rand came to Brooklyn College to speak. And uh, I came to Boo and Hisar because everyone knew that uh, free enterprise was fascism and uh, we'd lead to starvation and we needed government. And I booed and hissed her and there was a big uh, group. And then afterward, someone said the Ayn Rand Studies Club that had invited her to Brooklyn College uh, was having a lunch in her honor and anyone could come even if you disagreed. And I wanted to convert her to socialism. So I, I went and there was this long table. She was sitting at the head of it. Nathaniel Brannon was next to her and Leonard Peikoff and Alan Greenspan and the, the senior collective, they called it. And I was relegated to the other end of the table, the foot of the table. And I turned to my neighbor and I said, you know, this socialism is great, capitalism is evil. And they said, well, I don't really know that much about it but the people at the other end of the table do. So I went up there, I was maybe 20 and Brandon was 35, Rand maybe 50. This must have been 1963. And um, I stuck my head in between Ein's and Nathan's and I said, there's a socialist who wants to debate some more on socialism and capitalism. And I said, who is it? And I said, me. And Brandon was very, very nice. He said, look, I'll, there's no room for you here at this end of the table. I'll come to your end of the table and we'll talk about it on two conditions, one, you promised to read two books that I'll recommend to you, Atlas Shrugged and Economics and Les One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And two, you promised to keep this discussion going until we settled it and you don't stop until we've um, uh, achieved agreement or we realize we can't. So I read the books and uh, I went to his house and her house and um, 
I was converted after oh uh, four or five sessions. Um, I mean, uh, Atlas Shrugged was magnificent. It's my favorite book. I read it then, and I've read it every ten years since, and except for the Gold Speech, which I find boring. But um, I, I, I love that book. It's my favorite novel, and um, I use it in my classes. And uh, so uh, Brandon meant a lot to me. He converted me to, to uh, limited government libertarianism. And what was it about Economics in One Lesson, Atlas Shrugged, and your conversations with Rand and Brandon? What was the switching point for you to take you from socialism to uh, libertarian minarchism? I think it was, uh, there were a lot of things. Uh, Atlas Shrugged was inspirational. Uh, one thing that sticks out in my mind was uh, in capitalism, uh, if you do a good job, you make profits, you can expand your base of operation. And uh, if you do a poor job, you lose money and you have to go do something else. Whereas in government, you don't have that automatic feedback mechanism which rewards doing good and penalizes doing bad. So uh, the market was more efficient and also more moral because in, in, in uh, the market, uh, it's voluntary trade. You bought that gray shirt for 10 bucks and uh, it was a voluntary interaction. Whereas uh, your relationship to government is not a voluntary one. You pay taxes whether you like it or not. And if you don't, you know, there'll be uh, repercussions against you. Another person you mentioned in your introduction was Ayn Rand. Is there anything else from Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged that uh, really uh, stuck out to you? Well, um, Atlas Shrugged, I mean, uh, I don't know. I get tongue-tied when I think about that book. It is my favorite novel, and a lot of people criticize it. Uh, they say it's too, um, I don't know what, uh, unrealistic or, or something like that, but uh, it, it really struck a chord in me. Uh, I found it very realistic. Uh, you know, the, the, the bad guys, when they would have a meeting as to, you know, how to screw up the economy, uh, it, it was just so true. And I mean, she comes from Russia. Uh, she, uh, English is a second language. And yet the vernacular and, and, and the, the, uh, the way of speaking, it was just dead on. And it was just inspirational. Uh, I mean, I've read all of her books. Um, all of her novels. I, I've read a lot of her nonfiction as well. Um, and I, I agree with virtually all of it, not all of it, you know, because she's a, a, a minarchist or a limited government libertarian. She, she rejected the um, uh, phrase libertarian and she called herself an objectivist. She dismissed us libertarians as hippies of the right. Um, but, you know, I, I still have a, a soft spot in my heart for Ayn Rand because she and Brandon converted me to it. And uh, I consider her a libertarian, and I'm, by that I mean to compliment her. Um, and, you know, the economics was all that grabbed me, uh, metaphysics and epistemology and, and all that other stuff, aesthetics, it never really grabbed me. And also she was a little bit cultish, as was Brandon. You know, it, it, I was at the NBI, Nathaniel Brandon Institute lectures, and if somebody in the audience would ask a question, well, on page 44, Miss Rand, uh, you said this, could you elaborate? Oh, that would be a good question. But if you said on page 44, you said this, and on page 700, you said that, and I see a contradiction, she would kick you out. I mean, that was grotesque. Uh, you know, sometimes with my own students, if they ask me a tough question, I threaten to kick them out, but um, I'm only kidding. She was serious. So uh, she was an imperfect person. 
But I tell you, uh, Har and um, uh, Ron Paul were the two most successful people in converting people to Lutheranism. Har for my generation, Ron Paul probably for your generation. Uh, so you know, we owe her, we Libertarians owe her a great debt, and um, I and I like to pay my debts. Edward Stringham said that uh, he tried to ask you a really tough question when he was one of your students. He says, these libertarians, I say, coercively funded monopolies are bad, but then they justify it in uh, the realm of uh, the pr uh, production of security. And he said that you took him into your office to really get, give him the lowdown <laughs> on what's going on. I just, uh, I, I, I love those stories. I remember Ed, uh, one of my former students, I must have maybe a dozen or almost a dozen and a half former students of mine, who are now professors of economics like Ed, and he has done yeoman work, and I'm delighted that I was able to pass on the baton that Murray Rothbard gave to me, that I gave or passed on to Ed Stringham and, and many others. Next person, Walter E. Grinder. Most important thing you learned from him. Well, before we get to him, I have to tell you a little bit more of my odyssey. Uh, I was uh, sort of schizophrenic with Ayn Rand because I had an approach avoidance thing with her. They were the only libertarians I knew. So uh, I would go to the meetings and then I would be put off by the cultishness and I'd stay away two or three months and then I'd go back. And then I, I was a, a student at Columbia and Larry Moss uh, was a fellow student of mine. And he said, you must meet this guy, Murray Rothbard. Uh, he's an anarchist. I said, what, an anarchist? The, that's no good. Uh, remember, I was a, a Randian at the time, at, at least in terms of limited government. Uh, but finally, uh, Larry and his roommate, uh, Jerry Wallows, prevailed upon me to meet Murray. And I met Murray, and Murray converted me to anarcho-capitalism in about 10 minutes. He said, you know, uh, you understand why the post office and, and public sanitation is no good uh, because of um, uh, profit and loss considerations that I just mentioned. Well, why can't we apply to armies, courts, and police? And that was like the light bulb that uh, lit over my head. And then I became a, a follower of Murray Rothbard. And um, my, my big complaint about Murray was stomach cramps. He was so funny. Uh, he just kept you laughing and laughing and laughing. And, and hour after hour, you got stomach cramps. Now, there must have been 10, 12, 15 people in Murray's living room crowd. And obviously, I couldn't um, hog up Murray because we had to share him among 15 people. Walter Grinder was my mentor. He sort of took me aside. And uh, he, he was part of the Murray Rothbard living room gang. And uh, Walter took me aside and um, uh, uh, what's the word, um, uh, worn off my rough edges. Uh, he really got me into Austrian economics. Um, uh, he was a, a friend of mine for many years. And uh, I have a great debt to him for, uh, you know, uh, helping me uh, to understand the finer points of the Rothbardian uh, system. Most important thing you learned from Henry Hazlitt. Well, th this business of, um, uh, you know, um, we have to look at um, things um, uh, not just in the short run, but in the long run. We have to look at things uh, not on uh, not uh, the effect, not only on one person, but on everyone uh, at the shrug. Now, now he did great stuff on uh, his book on uh, Keynes, um, uh, but that came later. Uh, my conversion was not uh, his attack on Keynes. 
my conversion was uh, economics in one lesson. So, um, and I still use that in my intro courses. Um, I, I use uh, Henry Hazlitt's economics in one lesson. And I, I used to use Atlas Shrugged too, but I, my students uh, rebelled, <laughs> you know, they, they said, what, there's 1200 pages, we're not gonna read this. Uh, so at least I, I have the Hazlitt, which is, you know, uh, I don't know how many pages, 100, 120 pages, so I can get away with that, whereas I couldn't get away with um, uh, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, Henry Hazlitt, um, I think Mises once said that Henry Hazlitt, I forget who it was, maybe Murray said this, that Henry Hazlitt was the, the economist who could write best, uh, most clearly. And uh, I mean, he was only a journalist. He wasn't a PhD in economics, but you know, I don't really care about credentials like that. He was brilliant. He was magnificent. Uh, uh, just applying, uh, you know, this insight to rent control, minimum wage, free trade, um, uh, unemployment. Um, uh, Henry Hazlitt is um, uh, one of the key figures in the libertarian movement. Benjamin Klein. Ah. Interesting. Did, did I dedicate def defending the undefendable to him too? I had yep. forgotten that. He he was one of the uh, names in the introduction. Ben Klein was my college roommate, um, uh, undergraduate, and uh, Ben came with me to uh, uh, some of the Ayn Rand, um, uh, Nathaniel Brandon meetings, and um, we were converted together. Uh, ben uh, had an illustrious career as a. Um, a professor of economics at the very prestigious UCLA, um, University of California at Los Angeles. Uh, ben was a stalwart uh, libertarian, but I never could convert him to Austrianism. He was a mainstreamer, uh, which is okay. I mean, if you have to be a mainstreamer, at least be a libertarian, and he was. Uh, he, he made uh, important contributions, and um, you know, he was my college roommate. So, you know, uh, I have to tell you a story about my college roommates. My third roommate was Mel Fine. Uh, you know, a lot of times I can't think of a word. And I, I'm now 80 years old and I'm wondering, well, am I getting senile? Well, I remember uh, Ben and Mel, and we would have some rule that like from seven to 10, uh, nobody should go into anyone's room because, uh, you know, that's study time. Except if you couldn't think of a word. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you, so I'm, I'm uh, comforted by the fact that if I was see, if I'm now senile because I can't think of a word, I was senile then when I was you know 20 or 21 or 22. Uh, ben uh, and I have stayed in touch, as, as have Bernie Sanders and I. I. I mentioned that Bernie Sanders and I went to high school together. Uh, we don't stay in touch as much, but every five or 10 years, we, uh, we uh, link up and uh, say hello to each other. Uh, I have to tell you my Bernie Sanders joke. Bernie Sanders is well known for not running away from anything. He never ran away from socialism many years ago before socialism was as popular as it is now, uh, uh, mainly due to his efforts or uh, among other people. Uh, he doesn't even run away from uh, letting convicts vote, not ex-convicts, convicts, people in jail voting. But there's one person he ran away from and that's me. Why? Because we were on the track team together and he was one of the best runners in the whole city and I was a mediocre runner. And we'd start off at the same starting line and then he ran away from me. I could see the rear end of him disappearing around the track. So Bernie Sanders ran away from me. That, that's my Bernie Sanders joke. I think, did he also run away from Jan Helfeld in his uh, interview with him? Do you, uh, do, do you remember seeing that? No, I didn't know that Jan Helfeld uh, interviewed Bernie. Jan Helfeld interviewed, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Pelosi. Um, 
Pelosi. Yeah. A beautiful interview, magnificent interview. Uh, and he, he was uh, saying something like, uh, what are the minimum wage? You know, you love the minimum wage. Well, how about, do you have um, um, uh, uh, interns? And uh, she said, sure, I have interns. And then he said, well, you know, how much do you pay them? And I said, nothing. I said, well, doesn't that violate the minimum wage? And you know what she said? She's going to call the cops on him. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Jan Helfeld is a, a Randian. Uh, I once had a debate with him over um, uh, uh, anarchism versus limited government, uh, two-hour debate, and um, hopefully one day we'll have a, another one. Uh, a very nice guy for a Randian. I mean, you know, Randians are a little uh, cultish, but what the heck. Uh, but he, he's one of the good people as far as I'm concerned. Next person, Jerry Wallows. Well, Jerry Wallows was the guy who, uh, uh, he was Larry Moss's uh, roommate. And Larry was unable to get me to meet Murray because Murray was an anarchist and an anarchist is anathema, you know, they're, they're, they're chaos, you know, we'll have chaos if we don't have government. Uh, I don't believe that, but that was my view then. And uh, it was uh, Jerry Wallows who um, uh, ganged up with me, uh, ganged up against me uh, with Larry Moss, they were roommates. And uh, Jerry also took me under his wing, sort of like Walter Grinder. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Jerry Wallace sort of dropped out of the libertarian movement, uh, maybe um, after about five or eight years that I knew him. Uh, uh, Jerry and uh, I and Walter Grinder were sort of buddies and uh, we hung around together. So I would say Walter Grinder was my main mentor um, uh, in the Rothbard camp, but Jerry Wallace was my second most important mentor. And it was he that I owe uh, to be introduced to Murray Rothbard. So I have a great debt uh, to Jerry Wallace as well. So you mentioned Rothbard briefly, um, but at the uh, end you say, and especially you dedicate this to Murray Rothbard. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like people to know about if they're only vaguely familiar with Rothbard's work? Well, Murray Rothbard is Mr. Libertarian. Murray Rothbard is the one who combined uh, left wing and right wing and foreign policy. Murray Rothbard, um, uh, uh, I mean, we libertarians are left wing on, on personal liberties. We want to legalize drugs, legalize prostitution, legalize gambling, legalize pornography. doesn't mean we like it. We can detest it. But we distinguish between vices and crimes. And Murray was solid on that. And then he was solid on, uh, on economics, uh, obviously. <laughs> I mean, he, he was, I think, the second greatest economist who ever lived after, after Mises. And sometimes I think he was the first best economist who ever lived. Um, and a lot of people thought Murray was inconsistent because on the one hand, he's sort of leftish. On the one hand, he's rightish. And then on foreign policy, uh, he was against uh, imperialism, which, you know, everyone who favored free enterprise, like Ayn Rand, was uh, in favor of imperialism. U.S., uh, number one, we got to kick everyone's butt and make sure they're like us. And Murray said, you know, uh, hold on a minute. Um, uh, it's not the uh, role of the government if there's any role which there's not. It's not the role of government, uh, of the U.S. government, to throw its weight around the world. So Murray combined... Um, libertarian foreign policy, libertarian economics, and libertarian um, personal liberties. And uh, I mean, his book, um, um, Man, Economy, and State, is uh, right up there with Mises's Human Action uh, as the two greatest books ever in economics. A lot of my career has been spent standing on the shoulders of Murray. Uh, I mean, he, in Atlas Shrugged, he um, wrote one line about, about blackmail. 
And I must have, I, I wrote maybe 15 or 20 articles on blackmail. And then I put it all into a book on blackmail. It, it all came from Murray. Uh, 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 Jerry Tuchili uh, once wrote a book. Uh, it all began with Ayn Rand or it all started with Ayn Rand. Um, for me, it all started with Murray Rothbard. Um, the, the, the Randians were sort of the minor leagues. Murray Rothbard was the major leagues. Uh, uh, I mean, if you don't know, you know, uh, what's his name, uh, who ran for um, uh, the Libertarian Party? Um, Gary Johnson. Uh, Gary Johnson. Never heard of Murray Rothbard. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. Can you, can you imagine <laughs> you're running for the LP and you never heard of Murray Rothbard? I mean, Murray Rothbard is Mr. Libertarian. And not only Mr. Libertarian, but Mr. Austrian Economist. Uh, Murray Rothbard is magnificent. If you um, uh, want to have an introduction to libertarianism, uh, read uh, For New Liberty and the Ethics of Liberty, his two um, major uh, pieces. And if you want to learn about Austrian economics, um, man, economy, and state is the way to go. Uh, Murray Rothbard is, is my man. And I'm honored that I was friends with him from 1963 or four till uh, his uh, untimely uh, passing uh, when he was 68 years old. I think it was um, 1995 when he passed away. Um, uh, Murray Rothbard, I, I just can't say enough about him. Um, uh, I, I owe my career to him. Uh, I'm honored in, in several ways. Uh, one time uh, he uh, couldn't uh, teach his class at uh, Brooklyn Polytech and he asked me to substitute for him. And I think I'm the only co-author of Murray's. I, I co-author a lot with a lot of people, uh, but I, uh, one of my co-authors is Murray and I think I'm his only co-author. So I'm very uh, proud of that. That was the, uh, when I was his associate, um, uh, associate editor for the Journal of Libertarian Studies, I think it was, uh, we wrote uh, together some sort of opening salvo for the JLS. Wow. How about uh, in 1981, you wrote a paper with Walter E. Williams titled Male-Female Earnings Differentials, A Critical Repraisal. What is uh, Walter Williams's greatest contribution to uh, economics? Well, Walter, um, un un unfortunately, just the late Walter Williams, he just passed away uh, this year. Um, you know, if you didn't know he was Black, you wouldn't appreciate him as much. Yeah. But, you know, uh, black people who are um, uh, black scholars who are free enterprise, um, they're called Oreo cookies because, you know, the idea is if you're black, you have to be a socialist. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Biden once told a black man that if you don't vote for me, you're really not black. And the guy was black. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, this is grotesque. Um, uh, Walter Williams wrote this book, um, The State Against Blacks. Um, uh, very, very similar to another guy, I forget his name, uh, he writes for the Wall Street Journal, uh, 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 something, Stop! please stop helping us. I, I forget the guy's name. Another Jason black, Riley? That's it, Jason Riley. See, I'm, I'm losing names. I couldn't think of Jason Riley, who's a really good, um, a good um, uh, what's the word, a substitute for Walter Williams or uh, a good follower of Walter Williams. Well, Walter wrote this book, The State Against Blacks, and he uh, wrote on and on about how the state screws up black people uh, with all sorts of uh, interventions, uh, welfare, and minimum wage, and you know, uh, regulations and uh, licenses and, and everything like that. Um, for a while, I was working in Canada and I was having a competition between Walter, me, me against Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell. 
Thomas Sowell was sort of Walter Williams' mentor, just the way Murray Rothbard was my mentor. Um, uh, and what we were trying to do is find out the highest ratio of uh, female to male uh, incomes, because, you know, there's this, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, a male-female wage gap for every dollar that a man earns, a woman earns, oh, something like 70 or 80 cents. And the gap of 20 or 30% is um, uh, seen as uh, sexism. And um, what we were trying to do is, is say that um, uh, this is due to the fact, uh, all three of us, I was, I was in Canada, so I was getting Canadian statistics. They were in the US, they were getting US statistics. And what we were trying to do is show that if you were never married, uh, uh, the, the gap disappeared and sometimes the gap reversed. So uh, we were, we were in, in competition with each other to find the highest female to male wage uh, ratio or income ratio for the never married. See, the idea is that if you're married and, and the woman does uh, three quarters or four fifths or nine tenths of the um, cooking and cleaning and childcare and shopping and uh, everything else, well, even if they have the same ability, and usually they do on average, they're not going to be able to make as much money because they're busy taking care of the family. So what we did is we compared a never married, not widowed, not divorced, not separated, not nothing. And um, I think uh, I, I think I won. I got 109.8, namely uh, women earned 10% uh, more than men for the unmarried. Uh, I'm not sure if I beat them, but it was a friendly competition. And, and then I co-authored, I'm honored that I uh, co-authored an article with Walter Williams. Again, I don't think he co-authored too many things either. And maybe I'm his only co-author, I'm not sure about that. But I'm very, very honored that I can say that I'm a, a, a co-author of Walter Williams. Uh, Walter Williams is magnificent. He's not a libertarian, he's sort of a conservative. He's a little weak on foreign policy, uh, but on economics, uh, he's, he's not an Austrian either. But what the heck, um, uh, he, he is a magnificent economist and, and courageous. Uh, I mean, for a white person to say some of the things is one thing. For a black person to say uh, some of these things, it's uh, very, very courageous because uh, people had this idea that uh, all blacks have to be socialists. And if there's one thing about Walter Williams, it's that he's not a socialist. What was the uh, industry where uh, women were earning more than men? Because when you look at like the top uh, 10 uh, earnings of uh, supermodels in the world, all top 10 are women. I was curious where, uh, what, what uh, you came uh, up with in your research. No, it wasn't industry. It was um, uh, people. Oh, okay. Uh, and obviously uh, women make more money as models. There are male models, but they don't make quite as much money as, um, as female models. Um, I, I think it's reverse for movie stars. I'm not sure, singers, uh, certainly with models, but uh, my research uh, didn't go by industry. It went by all women in Canada mm. uh, who were never married. And now oh. what's, the, what's the wage ratio? Uh, I was at the Fraser Institute and you see what, they, what the census did was they took uh, single versus married, but we didn't want single versus married because there are single people who are widowed and divorced. They're single now, but they've been touched by the institution of marriage. So we had to pay the Canadian, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, statistical people extra money so that they would um, uh, get us the never married stuff. They never thought to do that. Uh, and, and they were sort of resistant about doing it because it would um, 
uh, it would show the major thesis uh, uh, that was uh, incorrect. And most important thing you learned from Ludwig von Mises. Well, human action. Um, oh, I have to tell you my um, uh, Ludwig von Mises story. I once shook his hand and I never washed it. So if you um, uh, shake my hand, you channel Mises. My hand's a little dirty, but what the heck? Uh, I shook Mises' hand. Uh, and while I'm bragging, I once beat Hayek in chess. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did I learn from Mises? What I learned from Mises was human action, um, uh, you know, purposeful behavior, um, um, uh, uh, synthetic a priori statements, the, the idea that there are uh, uh, economic laws uh, that um, uh, uh, you know that can, that are not testable and on apodictically necessarily true. And uh, for that, uh, he was uh, considered a cultist. And obviously, the, the Austrian business cycle theory uh, pretty much started with him. Um, and, and, and also, uh, the socialist calculation debate, I think, would be uh, a very important thing that we learned from Mises. Uh, he got into it with Lange and uh, some of these other people. Uh, I mean, th this guy, he came to the US when he was 61. And he was uh, fleeing the Nazis. He was in. Um, uh, what was it, Switzerland, he was in Austria, he was one step ahead of Hitler. And he came over here and, and English is his second language or third language or something, not his native uh, language and sort of like Ayn Rand. And um, I don't know, uh, he, he's either the first or the second best economist uh, whoever wrote in, in my view. And uh, a lot of um, what I have in economics comes from those two guys. And just one more point on Mises. Why is it so important to focus on human action as opposed to measuring gross domestic product and the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Well, those are important too. You know, uh, you don't want to uh, lose sight of other things uh, just because Mises didn't specialize in them. But uh, Mises uh, specialized in giving us insights about uh, human action and purposeful behavior and uh, the idea that. Um, um, again, you bought that shirt for 10 bucks, let's say, uh, you necessarily gained because um, uh, if you didn't value it more than 10 bucks, you wouldn't have bought it. Now, it might be that you don't even like the shirt, but the, the reason you bought it was you felt sorry for the guy selling you the shirt, or maybe it was a gal who was selling the shirt and wanted a date with her, so you bought the shirt. We don't know why uh, you gained. All we know is that when you plunk 10 bucks down on the barrel head for that shirt, there was something about that shirt that made you better off ex ante. Now, ex post, you might regret it. You know, uh, you don't always uh, uh, happy with your purchase. And the same thing for the guy who sold you the shirt. He probably had hundreds of them and he was willing to, uh, uh, you know, he probably valued it at a buck or maybe negative because it was, uh, you know, he had too much inventory. And, and he also gained. Now, you get this from Mises so clearly and so beautifully. And uh, other, other economists have had that too, but they sort of got it from Mises. Uh, so uh, I would say um, uh, Atlas, uh, not Atlas, <laughs> Human Action uh, is a magnificent book. Uh, I have a seminar at Loyola University, and, and the first book we uh, discussed was Human Action. And I call it the Human Action Seminar, even though now uh, I started this 20 years ago, 
uh, but I'm honoring uh, Mises' Human Action by calling it the Human Action Seminar. And right now we're on Hans Hoppe's book, uh, The God That Failed, Democracy, The God That Failed. But we've done many, many other books in 20 years. But that was the first book, and that's, that's the name of this um, seminar that I run. I want to thank everyone for watching the Libertarian Institute. And Keith Knight, don't tread on anyone. Dr. Block, thank you so much for your time. You're very uh, welcome, and it was a delight, and uh, thanks for those wonderful questions.